Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Talking Space, a special episode of Talking Space, and I use the word special in the loosest definition possible. Uh, we're here tonight with G. McCulka, Cat Robinson, and Cassie Tamanini, a.k.a. Craftlass. I am Sawyer Rosenstein, and this is being recorded on the night of the 28th of October, 2014. That is a Tuesday. The reason we are recording this episode and replacing it with the one we had originally recorded for this week is because of recent events on today's date. At about 6.22 p.m., Eastern Time, an Antares rocket lifted off from the NASA Wallops Light Facility Pad 0A. It was an orbital sciences launch carrying a Cygnus resupply vehicle to the International Space Station, Mission Orb 3. About the timeline is still under debate, but between 6 or 12 seconds after launch, there was an anomaly with the vehicle. As it went up, it stuttered a little bit. It continued up until there was some problem with the it appeared with the first stage engines. Uh, there was an explosion of some sorts, and then it came back towards the ground. Reports are that the range safety officer did detonate it before it hit the ground, breaking up the vehicle. However, there was still a large explosion, and all of the uh, supplies and science on board the vehicle at this point is presumed lost. Thankfully, there were no injuries on the ground. However, uh, this is the first major loss of a vehicle on an American soil of an American launch uh, in quite a while. So this is um, a huge blow to the commercial program as well. So let's talk about what we know so far and reactions and how this event is being looked at. Yeah, thanks, Sawyer. Um, real fast, I, I was sort of live tweeting and, and covering this thing just as we were uh, just about all day today. Um, the the count, I should say, for the uh, the good ship Deke Slayton, which was unfortunately lost tonight. Uh, this was uh, uh, the vehicle was carrying about, I believe, uh, five tons worth of consumables and science and all that. There's a, actually a local group here in New Jersey, um, over in uh, uh, Ocean Township, uh, South Jersey. They also had some science experiments on board. That all all has been lost. A lot of other science has been lost, unfortunately. The ISS is in good shape. Uh, as far as consumables, uh, we learned that tonight through through the press conference. But um, uh, to take you through a little bit of what uh, today was all about, again, at uh, NASA started their coverage at about 530. Uh, there was a call, uh, but to uh, rewind it even further, a uh, call to uh, stations today was about 1010 in the morning. Checklist started at about 1038 in the morning. And from by all indications, according to NASA PAO, when they came on the air at about 5.30 Eastern Daylight Time uh, this afternoon, count was flawless. It was moving along quite nicely. And uh, finally, the weather looked grand. 95%, you know, go for what? Go. You don't get that a lot. Um, it was starting to cloud up. 
over here in New Jersey a little bit. So I, I kind of doubted that I was going to be able to see it, but we plowed, you know, I, I plowed through with, with what I was doing and there was absolutely no indication of anything that was wrong with the vehicle. The Antares launch vehicle looked like a champ through the count. The Cygnus vehicle, which is the Cygnus cargo vehicle that was being carried, the Deke Slayton, it was performing like a champ and uh, all the, through the count. Then we got to T0, the launch, and then there was a little hint of something going that went wrong. Now, we're not too sure exactly what the timeline is. As you pointed out, Sawyer, Frank Culbertson during the press conference had admitted that he had not looked at any of the footage yet with a stopwatch or anything like that to find out what the real chain of causality was. I haven't done that yet. I don't think anybody has yet. But the range safety officer did notice something a miss and uh, took the appropriate action, hit the big red button and uh, caused the vehicle basically to be lost. And all of that took basically about 20 seconds. I went outside just to, uh, on a personal note, I went outside to try to see if I can see it because things were starting to break up around here and uh, was also trying to live tweet. And I also wanted to go ahead and take a photograph of the launch, you know, the screenshot to share with everybody else that may have been, you know, couldn't get to a, a television set or get to NASA television. And, uh, I, you know, perchance I did, if you take a look at my timeline, I did get one of the, the screenshots of the vehicle beginning its breakup. Right now, it's it's a little premature to look at the footage and try to determine what went wrong simply by looking at the footage. Orbital Sciences is going to go ahead and get all the data that they can out of this. They've gone ahead and they've impounded, obviously, every scrap of, of information that was taken on console. They've impounded any data that any of the anybody that was on console had, any notes or anything like that. They're doing their due diligence right now to try to collect all of that. Obviously, we don't know the condition of Pad 0A right now. Uh, from the press conference, Bill Warble, who is the director over at uh, NASA Wallops, basically said that the uh, area around Pad 0A is corned off. Fire departments are essentially going to let the fires burn in and around that area. That the, the fires are basically restricted to that area right now, which is a, a restricted area anyway during launch operations. None of the homes in the area were impacted, which is a grand thing. I, I was listening really, really close to make sure, too, that uh, all personnel were accounted for. They were, so no lives were lost tonight, just uh, hardware. From what I heard also on the press conference, too, it, it looks like that the damage was restricted to Pad 0A. None of the other facilities are impacted so far as we know right now. It, it's dark. We don't really know what's what's happening out there because, the, you know, there's no daylight. Uh, but I'm sure tomorrow morning people are going to be taking a walk out there and and trying to see what's what the damages are and uh what the damage is to pad zero a and and how you know how much what needs to be repaired and what needs to be fixed also as far as there's probably pieces of the antares vehicle running around all over the place they did issue a bit of a warning during the press conference not to touch any of that Okay, and now if you're if you're listening to us and you do hear us in the Chincoteague area, don't go souvenir hunting. All right, if you do find anything, 
go ahead and, and report it. Uh, NASA did give an incident response team telephone number. I'll, I'll give you that number here. That is area code 757-824-1295. Again, that's uh, 757-824-1295. And that is in the event that you do find something that looks amiss, uh, you want to call that telephone number and let f let the authorities know that you found it. Because any piece of debris that is found by anybody could hold the key, theoretically, to what happened tonight. So right now, you want to go ahead and piece all of that together. This is sort of like a um, the, the only analogy I can draw is really when an airliner goes down, you want to find every sliver of metal or, or paper or anything that came out of that aircraft because you don't know what's going to hold the key to the answer to trying to find out what happened. So in, in essence, by reporting uh, the debris that you may find in the area and not, you know, saying, hey, you know, reporting it on, e you know, throwing it up on eBay. Not only are, are you keeping yourself safe because the Cygnus and the Antares did use hypergolic fuels. That's what that means is two fuels, when they get together, they don't like each other and they cause an explosion. And they also could give off some sort of fumes or some sort of residue that could be, you know, hazardous to you so it's it's probably a good idea to kind of leave that stuff alone anyway but if you do find something amiss again you could be holding the key to what went wrong and i can't drive that point home enough so don't don't mess with it and try to help out the investigation right now again we don't know exactly what occurred we could watch the footage all we want my thoughts are going back to you know, STS-107 and, and uh, STS-51L, you know, every, every the news media going ahead, the, 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 the standard media going ahead and playing that footage over and over and over again and dragging experts in to try to figure out what went wrong. Well, those experts don't have the data in front of them either, you know, so they could try to piece together what, what, what went wrong by, by visual and that's okay, but you're not, you're only going to get half the answer. You got to get all the data together too. And that's what they're going to be struggling to do in the next few weeks and months ahead to go ahead and piece together what went wrong tonight. But the good news out of all of this, again, nobody was hurt, but also it seemed, and Sawyer, you and gang, everybody, we all sat through the press conference tonight. It seems like Bill Gerstenmaier, who is uh, NASA's associate administrator for human spaceflight, was saying, look, we know these things happen. Okay, we expect these things to happen. We don't like it when these things happen, but we know, you know, stuff like this along the way is just going to bite us at some point. This stuff is hard. It's very difficult. But from a disaster like this, we take from it, we learn from it, we figure out what went wrong, we go fly again and apply what we learned to future vehicles. And I think Bill Gerstenmaier took the right attitude, at least publicly, in that. And Frank Culbertson was essentially saying the same thing. He basically said the same thing over the net, too, to his own people. This is part of what we do, just like getting getting ready for a launch is what we do. And we will fix this, and we will go fly again. And there was a lot of determination, I think, too, in Culbertson's voice tonight. I've had the floor long enough. I'm going to go ahead and throw it to anybody who wants it. Yeah, a few really good points in there, Gene. 
definitely, again, don't touch anything. They emphasize that a lot in the press conference. Don't touch anything. Call that phone number, which will be in the description of this show. Definitely check that and make sure you don't touch anything. Because if you do know anything about fuels, it was the liquid oxygen is mostly burned off. But in terms of the other fuels, we're talking about hydrazine and hydrogen tetroxide, which if you know those, those are really, really really harmful to humans so yeah rp1 <laughs> exactly rp1 rp1 yeah. bad <laughs> exactly but you know they emphasize the importance of the safety of it and that it was just a vehicle and not human life and i think frank Culberson actually mentioned that in the press conference let me see if i can get that to play it's a tough time to lose a launch vehicle like this and its payload. Uh, it's uh, not as tragic as, as uh, losing a life associated with it. And so we're very happy to report that there were no injuries and the safeguards both in flight and on the ground worked as they should have and uh, all we lost was hardware. That hardware, however, is very important and very high value to the company and to our customers. Uh, our team worked very hard to prepare it. We conducted a lot of testing and analysis to get ready for this mission. Uh, however, something went wrong and we will find out what that is. We will determine the root cause and we will uh, correct that and uh, we will come back and fly here at Wallops again, uh, hopefully in the very near future. But we will do all the things that are necessary to make sure it is as, as safe as we can make it and, uh, and that we do solve the immediate problem of this particular mission. So, yeah, again, it was... It's just a vehicle, although um, the loss of how much it's going to cost them isn't known yet. We do know the vehicle cost itself is about $200 million, right. uh, and that doesn't count all the supplies on board, all and then all the scientific work that people have spent um, years of their career working on. Not just careers, too. Um, I mean, this might seem like a little thing. Of course, there there was some incredible science going up there, but there were also a lot of experiments by students going up. Yeah. And I just would like to extend my condolences to all of them. Uh, what, a, what a tough blow. It's really, it's hard to get into these programs that let students fly you know, their experiments. And so I really hope that it just, that they learn the lesson that space is hard and that they get to repeat it. That would be just incredible. Now, I think one thing that's really important to, to notice of Frank Colbert's statements is that the safeguards worked. He said the safeguards both in flight and on the ground worked as they should have. So while, as we've said, we never want to see a failure you always plan that the worst happens so you know what to do. And in this case, there was able to be a reaction from the range safety officer, it appears, um, to make sure that that was a safe degradation of the flight once the flight had an issue with it, with not being able to complete. So I think that's very important that we look at this and we see that this is obviously a horrible incident and our hearts go out to the teams, the science going on this but that when it comes to the event of a vehicle failure, this is kind of the way you want it to go. You want the safeguards to work, and they did in this case. That's what backup plans are for, right? Absolutely. And even from NASA Wallops, they even said that the preliminary reports show that all the damage was also contained in the predetermined hazard area, which is very important. You know, everyone was safe. It didn't launch until it was safe. It was scrubbed last night because of the boat. And tonight there was no, you know, everyone was safe because all the proper protocols were followed. 
Yeah, and, and um, Kat, you were talking about the the folks, you know, your heart's going out, out to everybody. My heart's going out to everybody that I know over at Orbital and ATK and anybody else that's associated with this. Even Thales Alina, who builds Cygnus, These, this is an Italian-based company that also built the multipurpose logistics modules for the, for the space shuttle and is responsible for some of the modules that you see on the ISS today. It's, you know, it's, it's one big family that, that's really, really hurting tonight. And you know, your heart's got to go out to everybody that pours their heart and soul into this thing and gets it prepared for launch. I mean, yeah, w- this is a, a cargo vehicle. It is an autonomous robotic device, not a human. But, you know, a lot of us that pour a lot of time and effort into something, we kind of look at these as, as our babies as well. And when something like this happens, it kind of really, really throws a, uh, well, it throws you a curveball and there is a loss. Uh, I know there's going to be a lot of heavy hearts over at Dulles, over at in uh, Italy and, and other places, but um, they'll get through it. They'll find out what uh, went wrong. They'll isolate it, fix it. And as Frank Culbertson said tonight, they will go ahead and fly out of wallops again. Yeah, absolutely. That definitely was a theme. You heard it from every single person at the press conference speaking either on behalf of Orbital Sciences or NASA saying, we look forward to finding out what happened. We have a lot of data. We can't draw any conclusions yet, but we will find out what happened. We will correct it and we will come back. So we are expecting that we will know what happens. Frank Culbertson committed that Orbital Sciences will keep the public informed at every step of the process, which was very nice to hear on the eve of losing a vehicle so publicly that they have gone ahead and made that commitment to a transparent conversation with the public. Yeah, Frank said that they were going to go ahead and post information as it becomes available and and really, really try to make sure everybody was informed as soon as they were, as far as the investigation, there would be frequent updates. And I found that uh, kind of kind of interesting because I know everybody like really, really clams up during uh, an investigation. But you want to go ahead and make sure that the investigation is going to be transparent. And, and that was that was interesting. So it's going to be as much as it's good to see uh, Orbital perform uh, when uh, you've got a good good uh, launch and a good mission. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how well they perform when trying to diagnose a, a severe problem such as this and get back on their feet and go fly again. And I think that's going to... Uh, as much as, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, I think that's going to actually, it, it'll help the company become stronger, I think. They'll come out of this stronger. And hopefully it won't affect uh, the next round of commercial crew contracts. I believe Orbital's got eight launches they've committed to over the period of time. Correct. And, right, thank you, Sawyer. But the next round of uh, commercial crew contracts is due, I believe, in 2016. They're going to start bids for that. And it's going to be interesting to see what impact tonight's events are going to have on that. I know for a fact that uh, already, and Kat, you could probably get into this a little bit more than I can because I have not been watching the mass media on this. I have been paying attention to local media over in Chincoteague, Virginia, which I'll mention after 
after we go into how the, the major media outlets are reacting. But Kat, why don't you go ahead and, and kind of send me to the clue store a little bit on how the major media is reacting, because I have a funny feeling that in Congress, it's already being set up. They're, they're already, the lines are probably already, you know, frothing at the mouth, if you will, trying to go after this program, which wasn't really all that popular to begin with in a lot of political circles. And we're really trying to kill it, you know, either with commercial cargo or commercial crew. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to just come to one point you you made before I jump into that. I think that the way orbital sciences handles this is going to have a large impact on where the programs go both politically and with their own future place within the commercial uh, resupply program. So to the mainstream media, um, mass media, obviously it was picked up rather quickly. This evening I was actually in class and it was a CNN alert that first drew my attention to this. So I immediately um, started switching over because of my interest in, in how media works. I really wanted to know how they were framing this, especially since it was a private vehicle that was being launched under the auspices of NASA. Pretty much headlines across the board within the first couple hours were NASA rocket explodes. So branding the launch failure with NASA. Someone sent out a rather interesting tweet from Fox News that their headline prior to the launch was private company sends supply mission to the International Space Station. After the incident, NASA rocket explodes at launch. So you can kind of see how there really is a focus on NASA. I've been looking at news. Uh, CNN, of course, is covering this pretty regularly, at least one to two updates per every half hour. They've had um, uh, several people on. Senator Nelson uh, has been on, along with Mark Kelly, has been on to comment. In fact, I believe they also had Bill Nye on commenting about it. So they've already gotten sort of kind of some big names in space commentary getting on. Uh, all of the people commenting are basically saying, hey, it's too early to make any conclusions now. We don't know what happened yet. Fox News is already typically actually has decent space coverage, although I would not choose them for other news sources. Covered it as um, the unmanned vehicle exploded. One thing that I think that is important for and germane to the discussion you were bringing up, Gene, is that they say that NASA is paying billions of dollars to Orbital Science and the SpaceX company to make station deliveries, and it's counting on SpaceX and Boeing to start flying U.S. astronauts into the orbiting lab. Uh, a few more informations about that, and then said this is sure to draw criticism to this program. The accident, um, you know, is going to draw criticism over the space agency's growing reliance on private U.S. space companies and the post-shuttle effort. I also overseas coverage checked BBC News, Al Jazeera. Again, right now, those are very fact-based, very bare minimum, saying an unmanned NASA rocket explodes on launch, um, unmanned U.S. rocket and terrorists explodes during launch. So much more balanced, not really finger-pointing at this point, though you do see the questioning of what does this mean now, where do we go, what money and how the money is being paid for. So kind of starting to see that inkling of, is this a waste of taxpayer money? So that's the question I'm kind of seeing starting to, to jump in here. But still right now, as you would expect, um, they're using those attention-grabbing, sensational headlines of a NASA rocket exploding. And I think the next several days will be really interesting to see where that news coverage goes and how they frame any more new information that comes out. 
Yeah, Kat, that's something I'm going to watch very, very closely, too. And believe me, I'm standing at the ready to use this forum, at least, to try to go ahead and make some course corrections, because I can already see how, you know, the general media is going to be covering this. I think they're, they're going to smell blood in the water. And especially with the politicians, they're probably going to smell blood in the water and really go after the commercial crew and the commercial cargo program. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that that's important to keep in mind, as you know, we know that the the vehicle and the rocket, you know, the cost is around 200 million was what we were given. But um, one thing to keep in mind is that it's actually not a very high cost when it comes to launching things into space. 200 million isn't a very large cost comparatively uh, to other things that launch. So we do also when we talk about what's lost, the cost of what's lost. Of course, it's hard to lose science and it's hard to lose, you know, there were some privately funded uh, telescopes headed up. There's a lot of things, it's hard to lose that. But when it comes to strictly monetary consideration, this isn't a very high cost mission. So I think that's something that's important to keep in mind. For comparison, uh, there was another launch disaster back in August of 1998. That was the Titan rocket that exploded. Uh, that was carrying a uh, spy satellite worth um, a little more than $2 billion. So in comparison, yes, it is definitely a lot less that we're talking about in terms of cost. And it happened a lot sooner in flight, so it uh, lessened the spread of debris. So overall, if it were to happen, it happened at a good time, so to speak. I mean, there is no good time for, you know, to lose a rocket. But it happened really early on. There wasn't much debris. And again, it's not that expensive. It's just the worst is feeling for those people who had all those science experiments on board. One of the other things that was brought under fire and actually, and unfortunately I knew this was going to happen, was also watching from a social media aspect what the reaction was out there. And of course, a few of them out there are saying, well, heck, you know, maybe NASA should leave it to the professionals. India just got to Mars. Ha ha. I got a lot of that, you know, stuff like that, uh, which was, which I found kind of fascinating. Uh, since India just got their one, and this is one of their first successes. Little does the public know that NASA was backing them up, but that's I'm going to leave that for the public to kind of chew on a little bit. But one of the things that folks were speculating on were the AJ-26 engines themselves. Now, they do have a lineage. They first started out life as the NK-33s, which were meant for the N-1 rocket. The N-1 rocket was Russia's version of the Saturn V. And the NK-33s, there were about maybe 30 of them on the bottom of that first stage of the N-1. Since then, they've been kind of sort of you know, in stasis, if you will, being preserved and finally being used again and given a new life as the AJ-26. Essentially, Aerojet buys these engines, picks them up, soups them up, and it's it's sort of like you buying a 67 Camaro and taking the engine and putting modern parts on it and modern uh, equipment on it and bringing it into the 21st century, if you will, and making it a far better machine than it ever would be. However, those engines have been coming under fire a little bit. There was some speculation even on the press conference tonight about the AJ-26 engine. Frank Culbertson was asked about that toward the end, and it was actually one of the NASA social folks that actually did 
asked the the ultimate question, saying that she was getting a lot of uh, a lot of input about the engines themselves. And that question also was actually asked earlier in the press conference as well. Right, that was Arint Klotz. I know I was on the Congo line. She kind of took my question a little bit because I was that was one of the things I was going to ask because earlier on, if folks recall. Uh, I believe it was for the Orb 2 mission, and they had a uh, AJ-26 engine on the test stand over at Stennis. Something went wrong. They actually went ahead and replaced the engine that they were going to use, or at least fixed that engine, where they had had to go ahead and do some sort of analysis and figure out what happened to it. We never really learned what exactly it was due to ITAR rules and all this. Orbital did go ahead and repair the engine and flew it for Orb 2. There was some speculation tonight about that being the source and why going with such an older engine. And Frank Colbertson basically said, you know, these things, we refit them or Aerojet refits them. Brings them into the 21st century. You know, they're not exactly brand new, but they are are essentially a good, robust, more powerful engine. And it's one, by the way, that we don't make here. So maybe that's also a signal that maybe we got to start making our own stuff. But yeah, absolutely. He said that there's uh, not a lot of options for engines around the world, and certainly not in this country. Exactly. Thank you. And that was was one of the points that uh, I want, wanted to drive home. Orbital was trying to do the best it can for its customer and found the best possible solution that it could to go ahead and do this. But unfortunately, this led to a lot of fanboy stuff. And that's the only way, way I can politely describe it on various social media boards. And one individual posting uh, the Elon Musk quote, and I will say that this quote was not made this evening. I have not heard anything from Musk or SpaceX, and I haven't seen anything from Musk or SpaceX out on the social media feeds, although I would expect it to be rather kindred because, quite frankly, you know, I'm sure the folks over at SpaceX watched that tonight and said, there but by the grace of God go I. Or at least I would hope that was the reaction. But the thing that uh, was posted by one of the, and I'm just trying to politely say fanboy because I've got other words for these folks, and that's another story. But to quote it here, Musk said, the results are pretty crazy. One of our competitors, Orbital Sciences, has a contract to resupply the International Space Station. Their their rocket honestly sounds like a punchline to a joke. It uses Russian rocket engines that were made in the 1960s. I don't mean their design is from the 1960s. I mean, they start with engines that were literally made in the 1960s and like packed away in Siberia somewhere, close quote. And that's Elon Musk. Now, that was not said tonight, but it was said at some point down the road. And a lot of the fanboys were posting that quote out there, at least tonight on Twitter. And I thought that was really, really like a low blow. And, um, you know, if, if, if I were, again, if I were SpaceX tonight, um, and guys, I know they've got a lot of fanboys out there and Hey, fanboys, you should have the reaction of, but there, but by the grace of God, go I, because that's going to bite you too one day. And I hope it doesn't, but eventually well, it will. Eventually the laws of the law of averages catches up with you. Well, and it's very important to remember that no company 
or agency involved in space is immune from failure. Whether it happens on the launch pad or in the testing, you know, this summer SpaceX lost a vehicle, you know, very much the same way, uh, a Falcon 9 uh, test vehicle in Texas. It was a self-destruct because of a faulty valve. So these things happen. There is not an agency or a private company around that is immune from failure. And the best that you can hope for is that when a failure happens, there's minimal damage, no loss of life. And it happens in the way that it happened tonight, where all the safeguards work on the ground and on the vehicle. That's the point, too, to drive home that everything, in a way, all the safeguard works worked. Unfortunately, it's it's a heck of a way to, to see if the playbook works in order for the pad preservation procedures and over at Wallops. Um, I'm sure uh, Director Bill Warble is going to have a, a bit of a headache on his on his hands to try to go ahead and repair pad zero a because right now i believe uh, frank colbertson said that um and and guys you can check me if i'm right on this that frank colbertson basically said that pad zero a right now is the only launch pad that can support antares so they want to go ahead and get that thing fixed as soon as they possibly can it's the so, only one that's uh, certified at least for antares right yes. exact wording Right, thank you. And he said that it was a high priority that that was to get that fixed. Although there was a mention that, because there was a question during the press conference on asking whether or not the pad was a complete loss. And they said, you know, we can't answer that right now, but we are still getting some systems information from the pad. So they were still getting some information from the pad uh, at the time of the press conference. Right, and the pictures indicate too that I don't think the launch pad was a total loss. Just by the the NASA feed, excuse me, but um, there was significant damage. So it, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see what that damage is and how quickly they can get the pad turned around. And just saying that we are looking at, down the pike here at winter, and uh, I mean we've already got a winter storm possibly for this weekend here in New Jersey. So uh, that's also going to probably hamper any type of repair efforts going forward. So as far as timing is concerned, this couldn't have been lousier. Right. Plus, this was also the first Antares night launch. And part of the issue was they said they can't really go checking everything in the darkness. They're going to have to wait until daylight. So uh, again, not the best timing for your first uh, night launch. Exactly. And Sawyer, again, to to kind of run what you were saying, too, they do have cameras in and around the pad, and the the launch was shot from several different angles. I'm sure they're going to be taking some video from that and looking at each one of the video that was was cataloged from those cameras. But again, the, the evening aspect of it probably is going to make it a little bit more interesting to try to glean any uh, video clues from from all of this tonight. Definitely. They said that they'd, they couldn't really give much information in the press conference because all the telemetry and everything was still locked down, so that way it couldn't be tampered with or anything. All the video still had to be reviewed, so there's still a lot that they have to go through. That's why there's still very limited flows of information coming out of them. But again, as we mentioned earlier, they are actually providing lots of information and to have be so open. In fact, uh, a lot of people were impressed, as was I, that they left their audio loops still open to the public long after the actual vehicle yes. blew up. 
That was one of the things I was thinking about, too. So I was just about to mention that. The audio loops were wide open. It wasn't just NASA PAO talking. You could actually hear the launch director talking. In fact, there was some confusion, too, about who was going to take point on this. Was NTSB going to be involved? Was F What was FAA's involvement? Can we talk to who do we talk to if we need to talk to at this point? That kind of thing. I mean, that was wide open for everybody to hear. And I was like, whoa. As you know, soon as soon as the contingency was declared, you know, and as much as I hate to bring this one up for 107, the, the loops here were shut down. We didn't, you didn't hear anything other than PAO. Here, you heard the launch director talking to his team. And trying to figure out, okay, what what can we do? What's going on? We were getting live reports, you know, directly. This is how I learned too that uh, nobody was hurt because uh, they were very eager to find out, you know, what was going on. In fact, from that respect, they wanted to make sure, from a personnel standpoint, everyone was all right, and that seemed to be priority one on the launch director's uh, mind. And he wanted to make sure that that was that was taken care of. But indeed, that was a that was really a gutsy move on everybody's part. And I don't know whether or that was done deliberately or was it done like you know in the just just the heat of the moment it wasn't something that was kind of discussed or even thought about I really, I, I'm right with you. I, I can't commend Wallops, NASA, Orbital Sciences enough for remaining so open with information and, and staying on air and allowing you know the public to be as informed as they were. And I can only think that that is going to help in the image later saying, you know, look at how well we were able to deal with a crisis when it came up. And, you know, you have to, as I said earlier in, in this podcast, I think how orbital sciences handles this situation is going to reflect not only on them as a company and their opportunities, but on the commercial program as a whole. Yeah. Absolutely. And also one of the big questions that came up early on when everybody started talking about commercial resupply, commercial crew, was this question of exactly how open with the press, with the public, uh, will these companies be? This is sort of the first test of what happens when things go really wrong. And so the way that it's not, you know, this will help if they handle this correctly, if they stay as open as they say they're going to be, and they really keep us updated, it could hopefully inspire a lot of public confidence in these programs because they don't have the same requirements to give out news as a government agency does. Yeah, I agree with you there, Cassie. But one of the things I will say, and this is from my own experience with dealing with the folks uh, from Orbital, and, and I'm going on, on my experience last year when I was there uh, on site covering the uh, the first launch of this rocket, the Antares, we didn't know what the devil was going to happen, <laughs> okay? Uh, you know, I mean, I mean we, we could have had the bad day, you know, that day, but we didn't. We had a, we had a very good day that day. But um, they kind of and, and we all took it like that, saying, hey, we don't really know what's going to happen here. But one of the one of the things I will commend Orbital on, and, and I think I said this during that program, was just the, the, the general attitude toward us in the media a little bit. They were um, for their first go around. They were darn good at getting data to us, getting information to us. If they couldn't find something out, the attitude was, you know, I don't know, but let me make a phone call and I will find out. 
And, you know, I had to do that once during the course of uh, one of the days. I did ask one of the folks about that. I don't think it was the lead gentleman, Barry Badesky. It might have been. But I was working away trying to get some sound clips together from some stuff. And he tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you know, that question you asked me here, I got some stuff for you. And that was like within a reasonable amount of time I had the answer. So they were extraordinarily professional, extraordinarily polished in that respect. And they were very, very, very transparent, Kat, as that's one of the words that I'm going to be using tonight. If if they treat this event the same way that they treated the Antares launch, I don't think we're going to have a problem. I think think this is this is actually an opportunity for Orbital to shine from a public relations standpoint, and I'm sure I'm sure they're going to come through with all of that. We'll just have to see. This is going to be the template, I think, for the rest of the commercial companies to to use in in the event of a mishap. And I'm 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 just darn sad it's this group. Uh, again, they showed me nothing but professionalism, and and uh, there was a lot of talk about that amongst my peers when I was down there. That. Gosh darn it, this was a real, real breath of fresh air compared to what we were used to getting from from a commercial entity. So I, I think this is an opportunity for Orbital to shine in this disaster, and we'll see how they do. And we'll see how they handle Absolutely. all these eyes being on them. Just, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see with, obviously, members of the space community have been watching all these companies very closely. Now they will have a much larger audience. And it'll be interesting to see how, if if that changes anything within them. You just don't know until it happens. Absolutely. One thing that I find interesting is, you know, talking about with orbital science that said, you know, we're going to, we're going to move forward. We're going to get back. We're going to have a return to flight. You know, one of the reasons that I've been involved with you at Talking Space is the research that I did on, on social media. And one of the things I went to was the launch of OCO2, which was actually the second orbiting covered observatory because the first one was lost because of a failure with the payload fairing. And sitting there waiting for the launch, we were talking to NASA Administrator Charlie Bolden and Someone asked him about, what about the risk of space flight? What about the risk? And he said, we need to leave a nation behind a nation committed to frontiering, and that's not afraid to take risk. We will lose people, and it's incredibly devastating, but we owe it to them to press forward. Now, like we've said again and again and again, we didn't lose people tonight, but we did lose a mission, and that is devastating. But we owe it to the people who put their hopes and dreams on those spacecraft to keep pressing forward and to return to flight. And it does happen. You know, we do have tragedies. We do have setbacks. But we have to, as a community, support those companies and agencies who are trying to get out and do commercial space flight or take the next step. And I think it's really important as we talk about what's going on with orbital sciences and as we observe them and how they're being so open and transparent is to really give them support for that and to be committed to waiting to hear the results um, and not speculating terribly over what happened, but actually letting them get the evidence, letting them get the video, the telemetry, and actually give us the information for what happened. One of the things, too, I'm going to just throw out there, we were talking about what science was lost. There was actually a satellite payload that was being carried by, uh, I believe, uh, Planetary Resources um, called ACRID-3. This was a demonstrator satellite, and uh, uh, that also was was lost. And I'm I'm looking at an article about it from from the magazine GeekWire. 
uh, on board board the Acward Three were planetary resources, initial designs for a computer system and power system, and communication system, and many other technologies that planetary resources plan to continue working on as it was developing different and future versions of the spacecraft to help in planetary mining. So again, uh, it wasn't just experiments that was lost; it was actually a payload here too. You know, other than Cygnus. The, this uh, this planetary uh, uh, this uh, satellite from planetary resources. So it's another thing too that you can unfortunately mourn tonight. And I'm sure the folks over at planetary resources are going are are already saying, okay, how quickly can we get this back up and running and 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 uh, and get another ride up? So we'll keep our fingers crossed to make sure that uh, the satellite has a chance to fly again. Yeah, and something that I'm seeing too, talking about the you know flying again is. I'm seeing from a, a NASA social attendee that uh, one is saying it's at great Scott P that he can confirm that student experience will be experiments will be flown on a future mission and they'll be replaced at no cost. So I'm not sure who gave him that information, but I really hope that is the case for those students, especially who lost science missions. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, too, that I, I will say that Frank Culbertson is a huge champion of is STEM. He's pointed that out time and again in a lot of the other press conferences that he's conducted over the past year or so. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, they will they'll find a way to, to get the, those student experiments back up to the ISS. So are you, you had something you wanted to add. Yeah, well, just while we're talking about payloads, I should add that this was probably one of the largest amount of payloads that I was carrying up because of a new upper stage, but we're talking more than two metric tons of cargo it was bringing up. Uh, that was about 727 kilograms worth of science and about 750 kilograms of crew supplies, EVA equipment, vehicle hardware, computer resources are among the others. Uh, this coming from a manifest that I'm looking at here. Um, and it was going to be bringing back about 1,700 kilograms of trash and hardware and other stuff that was going to be destroyed upon re-entry. Uh, a lot of people were concerned it's not just about the science, but again, there's that 750 kilograms of crew supplies, which is equipment, food provisions, procedure books, you know, kind of important stuff. But Mike Suffredini, who's with the ISS program, basically said it's not to worry. Um, the station can last until March, he said. But one thing that he said in his uh, in the press conference that I found really interesting was the line um, that basically said... Um, What's important is that they have uh, multiple dissimilar vehicles that are used to carry up things to the space station. So even though this had a failure and who knows when it'll be back up and running, there are still other vehicles that don't rely on the same parts so that they can still launch. For example, a progress vehicle, which is supposed to launch about 2.25 a.m. Eastern time-ish, uh, hopefully after this has been posted, uh, as well as uh, SpaceX, who will be launching in December. So there's still lots of other ways to get uh, supplies up there. And again, if there were no resupply missions, they would still be okay until March on supply. So as devastating as this is, thankfully the ISS crew is still okay. Yeah, and it, it certainly makes you appreciate the variety that we have now be between other space agencies, the HTV and the ATV and other commercial companies. Having all of these options is still a rather new luxury. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and let's not forget there is a, a SpaceX Dragon launch coming up in December. Uh, that will, uh, I think they were talking about doing some modifications slightly to that manifest. I think they mentioned there was a uh, liquid nitrogen tank on board the Cygnus. Uh, there was a uh, liquid oxygen tank on board the um, to complement the liquid nitrogen tank. Uh, there was a liquid oxygen tank on board Dragon that was going to go up in uh, in December. They're talking about maybe swapping that uh, that out, but there were just some minor modifications to the Dragon uh, manifest that might be made as as a result tonight. The ISS will go on. The crew is not in any any you know. There's no situation going on there, and things will will move ahead because, as the folks pointed out, we do have a lot of systems that are don't rely on each other. That's if progress fails. We still had you know the, the dragon, and we still had Cygnus. If Cygnus went down, we still had progress, and we still had uh, had uh, had dragons. So you know, the, each yeah, one of these things complement each other. Yeah, and that's what, you know, as Sawyer was saying and you're saying, uh, Mike Safradini said, you know, that the loss of Orb 3 will require some reshifting of cargo uh, for the next resupply missions, but also constantly drove home this point that the ISS is prepared for these types of situations. So, you know, there were a lot of questions, both, you know, within the press conference, on social media, on traditional media as you just said, Gene, what happens to the ISS? And the International Space Station requires an incredible amount of planning. So they do plan for every contingency. And this is a contingency that was planned for. Yep. And um, just just to divert back to uh, some news sources here, I want to give a huge shout out because I, I, I know, no, Kat, you were paying attention to the larger media outlets. I want to give a shout out to the local media outlet over in Chincoteague because that, th- this was the station I, f- I turned to when I first started hearing about what was going on in the min- while I was waiting for the press conference and all that. That was uh, C- CTG 96.5 in the Chincoteague area. They did a bang up job. And they are still doing a bang up job right now. They've been going uh, with this story uh, for some time now, and uh, they were getting uh, man on the street interviews for people that were actually there and saw the launch. They described uh, how it felt and uh, that large boom that occurred. Sawyer, while we were getting prepared for tonight, you went ahead and and sort of tried to talk me through what that really felt like. I I saw it, but I didn't really, you know, it's tough to really describe for somebody that wasn't there. This woman uh, that they interviewed really gave it a, a good go, and and wow, she said the the, expo- the the sound was just overwhelming. She said it wasn't the ordinary sound that you hear from from wallops. It was something entirely different. Yeah, there's a great video from somebody who was at the press site as it happened, and they once they realized what went on, there were some expletives in the background, but uh, <laughs> the person holding the camera did say, it's going to be loud, hold on, and then it crashed, and he's like, it's going to be loud, brace, and then all of a sudden, just an insanely loud explosion, and then you can hear all the officials at the press site telling everyone to leave your stuff, or grab it and go while people are still snapping pictures you can still hear all the cameras going but uh just the sound from that incident alone it's amazing and the video of the explosion of it there's also video from an airplane that just shows the magnitude of it as well the bright flash and how large of an explosion cloud basically it was so there's some amazing video footage that's not from the nasa feed that just puts it better into perspective of how big this actually was yeah, there was actually some weather people that were actually showing the Doppler radar 
actually showing the explosion from that area. I, I was like, whoa. That's- yeah, there's actually also an aerial video of it from about 3,000 feet that you can really see just how massive it looks from that aerial video as well. And there's a, there's another uh, picture that somebody took from, I guess, uh, not too far away. On There's this bridge on uh, uh, 175 that you have to cross over and get into Chincoteague. And I guess somebody was standing just near that area. And you can see the entire bridge, illumin- just about the entire bridge, illuminated by the explosion. And it, it's, it's just ugh, it's just horrifying. But one thing I will say about, about, about the radio station is, unlike what you were reporting, Kat, some friends stuff going on. These guys were really, really good. They had their heads on and screwed on tight. And the one thing that, that they really wanted to emphasize was the fact that NASA has been a good neighbor for uh, for the area and is a good economic engine for, the, for that particular area. And they want to see this work. They want to make sure that the community wants to see this work. Uh, there really wasn't a lot of backlash about, you know, what happens if my you know house blows up or anything like that from one of, one of the pieces or something like that. There wasn't any reactionary stuff like that. It was really, really calm it was just oh no this this has occurred in in my backyard so and, and what can we do as good neighbors to help and that seemed to be be, be the general feeling in, in the community and i want to just give a good hats off to the folks in and around that area that live in that area and really really are trying to typify what what this means for the what this means long term and i think that's what they were thinking so again hats off to you guys yeah, so just to wrap things up, you're talking about, you know, in the long run, one thing I do want to bring up is what Frank Culberson talked about in the short run, and that's where this investigation is going and the steps that they'll be taking in the near future. So I'm just going to play something from that really quickly. It's kind of a three-pronged uh, initial approach. One is to get out to the um, uh, accident site, to the launch pad, and uh, tag, locate, and and um, uh, eventually investigate as much of the uh, hardware and debris that, that we can recover to see if it has any linkage at all to the uh, to the cause of the accident, and also to learn from it. We also need to evaluate all the telemetry, and we had many many channels of telemetry coming down from the vehicle. Um, both internally and externally um, being tracked, et cetera. And so we have to evaluate all of that, and that will take some uh, processing, post-processing, and some uh, some very sophisticated evaluation of what we learned from that. In addition, we have, um, I don't know, dozens of cameras that were trained on the the vehicle and the range as we lift it off, and they're all going to have to be evaluated also to see if we can learn anything from what we see in the video. It's a little more challenging at night, but uh, we have some very good cameras. NASA has some excellent cameras, and uh, and over time we will we will do the uh, analysis necessary to to see what we can learn from that. So that's what's in the immediate future. A lot of what we talked about. They're gonna you know mark off the area, find those pieces of the rocket. Once the daylight comes out, they're gonna review the data that they have locked up. They're gonna review the video footage, and then they're gonna see what they can find based off of that. And they said it's even gonna be a few weeks before they can let us know when they might even consider reflying again, or when they're gonna let us know when they may have an idea of what the cause was. We're looking at at least two weeks. So this is something that we're obviously gonna have to keep a very close eye on and lots of data will be pouring in probably every day and if they're as open as they've been so far we'll be getting new updates hopefully every day and be sure to check online for those hey guys final thoughts before we go i'll i'll say something bizarre go normally when i watch a launch i'll actually watch it and go 
man, wouldn't that suck if it blew up? And then I picture it in my head of trying to see if see it blowing up, and I just can't. I stop. I'm like, this is horrible. What are you doing? Every time I've done that, it's launched on time. It's the one time I didn't do that, and it's the one time I didn't have to imagine it. It's horrible, but um, all the best to everyone over at Orbital and finding the cause and uh, hearts go out to everyone who worked really hard on that vehicle in any form, processing, uh, putting supplies on, putting their science experiments on. Thoughts go out to all you guys and um, it will fly again though. And they've said that and everyone has confirmed that. Space flight is hard. We all know it's hard. It's just we need events like this to remind us that. But it's not a sign to stop. It's a sign to say, okay, this was hard. We learned from it. We make it safer in the future, and we keep going. We will see Orbital launch again to the space station multiple times. It's just a matter of when. Kat, what about you? Any final thoughts? Yeah, once again, I just I have to commend the public handling of this from Orbital Sciences, from NASA. Just very well done. And you know, I just, I have to echo Sawyer and say, you know, orbital sciences, you know, I look forward to seeing your return to flight because, you know, I believe it's going to happen. And I, I believe from the response I have witnessed that you, you know, that orbital sciences will come back as a better, stronger company and will really learn from this incident and will make, you know, space flight and especially private commercial space flight better for having gone through this. Cassie, how about you? Um, any final thoughts? Well, I, I'd like to echo those sentiments by saying the, the real measure of a space company is how they handle a disaster. It's some, it's, whether it's an agency or a company, they, they've, they all experience them. You get in the space game, you're in it long enough, it's going to happen. And so this really, this will show the measure of the company and the program and we'll have a lot to learn. I'd also like to send my condolences to everybody who was involved in building this rocket and, you know, the, the Cygnus and the Antares and everybody who had payload on there. I know it's a devastating loss, but tomorrow is literally a new day. And I'm glad everybody's going to have a chance to get back up there. And so best of luck. And, you know, I started today supporting everybody who sends things to space and I'm ending today supporting everybody who sends things to space. So in the end, this is just part of the game. My final thoughts actually come from uh, from Twitter. There's somebody on Twitter I follow by the name of uh, Mary Lynn Did Didmar, and she posted the following. This is what it is. This is what we do. To dream, to dare, to fail, to rise, to stand, to walk, to fly. And she leaves that as the hashtag Orb3. And I think that kind of puts it succinctly. They'll, they'll be the typical phoenix, and they'll rise from these ashes, and we're going to see that Cygnus the Swan fly out again to the International Space Station. All really, you know, poignant words to go with what's going on today. As much as I'd like to end it on a poignant note, I do want to end it on an important note. Again, if you find, if you are in the area around uh, the launch site at Wallops in Chickateague Island, if you are boating, if you are on the shore stay away if you do find anything remember call 757-824-1295 information in the show notes on that be safe be smart if you're in the area and all the best of luck to orbital and on that thank you again for joining us gene cat 
Cassie, and all of you listeners. We'll be back next week with the show that we recorded earlier this week, which has some great information on IAC and other space news. But till then, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are, and all of our thoughts go out to you, Orbital. <laughs>